Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers. I am your host, David Johnson, the skeptic, and joining me this week... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no one's joining me this week. It's just me. <laughs> Awkward. So, uh, for those of you who are a little bit aware of some of the drama in uh, the Skeptics and Seekers Towers, it's okay. Everyone has drama. And uh, so Dale isn't going to be with us for a little bit, but he'll be back from time to time. In fact, he's uh, coming back later this month. Shall I spill the beans? Shall I? Yes, I think I shall. So, uh, sometime after the 21st of this month, we will have Sean McDowell on the show. Sean McDowell will be talking about some New Testament stuff. Thanks for Dale for putting that together. And like I said, he'll be back to do that episode, possibly others here and there. We'll just have to see how all that shakes out. Uh, and for those who are following me in my other efforts, still unbelievable. It's a good show. Subscribe in iTunes or your pod feed of choice. We're going to be talking to Bart Campolo uh, next week sometime. So expect to see a conversation with Bart Campolo in the middle of the month. But for now, we are uh, we are at Skeptics and Seekers, and we've got a series to continue. And so I've been doing a series on why I don't care about what the Bible has to say and why you shouldn't either. We're up to part three, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, let's talk C.J. Morgan. Hey, everybody, you remember C.J.? C.J. Uh, was with me oh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was fun. We had him on uh, as, a, as a supplemental, and uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks so much, uh, C.J., for coming on board, and um, come back again. If you're listening, I mean, I know you got uh, beat up a little bit in the forums, that's okay. It happens. It's the internet. But we like you. I like you. What else matters, right? Um, so CJ and I uh, got into it a little bit over the air, and uh, we started talking about hell. You know, hell, that brings out the worst in uh, people. And uh, CJ admits that maybe it brought up the, the worst in him, too. So he, he actually has a, a full mea culpa. And uh, he delivered that via the forums so that everybody can see it. It's uh, right there on the Skeptics and Secrets forums. If you if you just go there, uh, click on the episode called Truth About the Truth, C.J. Morgan. Uh, he writes a, a little note. I'm going to read that note. It, by the way, before I do, let me, let me just interrupt myself. I'm sorry. I'm off the leash. Well, actually, I'm on the leash. It's just that nobody's on the other end to control me, so I'm sorry. Uh, let, me, let me interrupt myself for a moment. Um, you might have noticed... That I sound uh, a little bit, <clears throat> yeah, a little bit of that, that stuff going on. I've been fighting a cold for about three weeks. You know, they say if it lasts more than three or four days, <laughs> last a week, see your doctor. I did. She uh, patted me on the head and um, told me to quit whining. I'll take some over-the-counter medicine like the rest of the people. So I did that. And I uh, went back to see her, and uh, she finally wrote me a prescription for some antibiotics, which is all I wanted in the first place. And guess what? They worked. I took the whole uh, range of antibiotics, took it all, and I got better. 
And then a few days later, I got worse again. Came back. Boom. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it's a rebound of the last call. I don't know if, you know, I passed some sniffling child at the, the store and, and now I've got their sick. I, I have no idea. Evolution. This, this looks like bad evolutionary design to me. Bad design. If there was a designer, bad designer. Bad on you. If it's evolution, screw evolution. <laughs> I'm tired of getting sick every time cold weather or someone with a runny nose looks at me funny. This is ridiculous. We're going to fight through it. Don't you worry about that. Now, there may be some throat clearing, some snorting, a little bit of coughing, sneezing, nose blowing. I'm not editing that crap out. I got to suffer through this. Who's with me? Help a brother out. All right, here we go. So CJ, CJ, we talked uh, about hell, and he sent a very uh, serious message. Uh, I honestly don't know exactly what he is trying to correct. So not everyone comes across uh, perfectly in print. Not everyone comes across perfectly over the air. Uh, Lord knows I don't. Uh, CJ had a... You know, it was, it was good of him to to write the blog post. He confided in me that uh, you know it took a long time, a lot of a lot of edits, and people helped him out to get that out. It, it's okay. I, I really appreciate your efforts with that, CJ. And uh, you know, he had some times on the podcast where he had to stop and pause and think. And you know, t- talking on the mic is not something that's comfortable for a lot of people. So I, I get that. But I, I had a, a little bit of a hard time understanding everything in the note that. Uh, that you sent CJ, so I'm going to read it out on the air. I think that's okay. I hope it's okay. I'll try not to um, break any laws. I, I won't sue myself since this note was sent to me and all of my readers on the website, so I'm, I'm thinking probably okay to read it on the air here. Um, it says, and you know, listeners, try to try to digest this. Go back and read the comments. Leave some comments. Let me know what you think uh, CJ was saying. Uh, okay, some of the stuff I missed. So here we go. He says, uh, hi, David. The idea came from Revelation 20 uh, and 21, the thousand years of messianic reign. Then the final judgment, uh, the end of the world. Let me just go back a little bit because we were uh, talking about the duration of hell. How long will people burn in hell? One of the questions I asked him because he, he said, yes, hell is a place. Yes, it's a place of torment. Yes, it's a place of torment with fire. How long will it last, I asked. He said, I don't know. Which, which is a surprise, because I've never met a fire and brimstone uh, torment uh, with fire person who didn't also uh, immediately affirm, oh yes, it is eternal. Because that's in there, you know, it's in, it's in the text, it's in the same kinds of texts that you find the rest of it. But, um, but CJ is not that guy. He says uh, he doesn't know, but he kind of leans toward the idea that maybe hell only lasts for a thousand years. <laughs> only a thousand years. You might only have to burn for a thousand years. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Anyway, I uh, I asked on the board uh, where this doctrine came from because I wasn't familiar with it. Uh, and I'm familiar with a lot of doctrines on hell, and this one was kind of new to me. And so thank you, CJ, for bringing me something new, I guess. Um, so, uh, starting back with this note, uh, the idea came from Revelation 20 and 21, the thousand years of messianic reign, then the final judgment, the end of the world as we know it, 
and a new world without pain, worry, or death. Whew, well, that's a relief. That judgment is based according to what you have done. Romans 2 points out that our intentions and our conscience are a part of this. So, okay. Okay. Um, judgment based on what you have done. Now, here's, here's the thing that I'm not sure you're saying, CJ. Are you suggesting that there are different levels of punishment? You know, so if all you did was shoplift two or three times, you get, you get um, you know, club fed, the Hale's version of club fed where everything's okay and you get to read a lot of philosophers and, you know, drink, drink schnapps. And um, if you, if you hurt people, then, you know, maybe, maybe you get some of the fire. Is that, is that what you mean by, you know, we're, we're judged according to what we do? Is, is this some kind of works righteousness um, thing where, you know, if you do good, you get good, and if you do bad, you get bad? How, how exactly uh, does that work? So maybe a little bit of clarification there on what you meant. Uh, next paragraph. So I will say, he, he goes on the right. So this is the serious part. Please pay attention. I will say I made a mistake arguing that point. Not only does it not line up with the rest of my beliefs, but also doesn't line up with what I with, with what it says. Okay, it's a little bit awkward sentence. I don't know if he's talking about the last paragraph or if he's talking about something else uh, that we discussed. I, I kind of think he's talking about something else. Um, so I'll read that again. I'll say I made a mistake arguing that point. Not only does it not line up with the rest of my beliefs, but also doesn't line up with what it says. Okay, but I allowed myself to get into defending what I said, not going back to what I believe. All right, so I'm just going to try to digest that. Um, I, I think uh, what CJ is saying is, you know, maybe something that uh, all of us who do public debates and discussions get into, and it doesn't matter whether it's on the mic or uh, on incumbent forums online. You know, we our, our ego gets in the way, and we say something, and then someone points out that uh, it's that's wrong or it doesn't make sense. And rather than st- take a beat and think about that, we start defending what we what we say, what we, what we said. And you know, maybe after a while, you realize, you know, that's not actually my my belief, but that's that's what I said, and I had to I had to die on that hill for that. And so I, I think that he's acknowledging uh, something like that. So uh, don't worry, CJ, that happens to the best of us, including you and me. Uh, he goes on to say, I've read this before and only had that as an idea because I looked at the second death as the destruction of those judged to it. Now, he, he mentions the second death. This is a technical term. This is a biblical term. Uh, here's, here's the deal. No one knows what the second death means. I, I, I challenge you. Christians, you think you know what the second death means? You're wrong. You're just making stuff up, and you're repeating stuff that someone else said who made stuff up. No one actually knows what the second death 
refers to. Some people think uh, that it refers to the final judgment. But what that final judgment is, you know, once again, no one knows what that is. Is it uh, utter annihilation? Is it a thousand years in torment? Is it an eternity in a locked room where you just contemplate what a, what a mess you made of your, your life? No one knows what that is, uh, the second death. I don't know. Um, he goes on to say, but I also believe that time and eternity are separate. Okay, I would agree with that, because those are two very different concepts. The dead are not waiting for judgment for a time in human history, but when you die, you are taken outside of time to the moment of God's judgment. So we talked a little bit about um, some of the theories of what happens after you die. And uh, one of those theories is soul sleep. It's called soul sleep. Yeah, it's not what happens after you watch the marathon uh, running of Soul Train. Although that could be a soul sleep too, my brother. Um, no, soul sleep is um, a religious term for when you die, your soul stays unconscious until the clock strikes judgment. And in that final time when God calls everyone and then there's this big meetup in heaven and then God does a roll call and he splits everyone up, you know, some to the left, some to the right, and we go through and figure out uh, what we did to be saved or what we did to be lost. And it's like a big, um, like, like a big, I don't know, reality show and um, that kind of thing. That's how I always thought about it when I was a kid. Anyway, well, well, CJ says, well, that's not right. And so maybe he, he thought it was something like that, too. That's not right. He says, we, we go straight for our eternity after we die. So uh, we were talking about the rich man and Lazarus and how he was burning in hell and in torment in these flames. And, um, you know, some people say, well, you know, that's not a, a real story. CJ tends to think it is a real story, or at least it's a parable that tells you uh, what you really expect. So, okay, that's cool. Uh, but what a lot of people think is, well, you know, that's just a waiting room. That's not actually your eternity. That's, you know, kind of where you hang out before your eternity. And it looks like CJ is saying, nope, actually, when you wake up, you are at the moment of judgment and you're, you're, being judged right there. So there's no soul sleep. There's no uh, waiting room where you're just, you know, you've really been judged, uh, but you're waiting for the the American Idol show anyway. <laughs> and so none of that. So that seems crazy. Uh, and uh, it seems like uh, CJ decides that that seems crazy too. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, where I should have said my internal debate was, is if they are destroyed by the second death and only the devil, the beasts, and the false prophets receive eternal torment. Because death in Hades were thrown in there. And it would seem death is destroyed. That is where I place my back and forth, or for all it is eternal, which in all reality was what you asked. So I'm just getting a little bit, a little bit awkward wording there, but that's okay. Uh, so he's saying, well, 
at the end of the day, he still doesn't really know. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what changes here. Um, he adds the notion that death and Hades are, th- are thrown into hell. Does anyone know what that means? I mean, I know, I know it's a biblical reference, but what does that actually mean? If you say that death is thrown into hell and death is destroyed, does that mean that you can't die and therefore you live forever because death is destroyed? Or does that mean that you die and stay dead? I don't, I don't actually know. What that means, I don't think that any Christians actually know what that means. I, I encourage Christians to uh, write in and explain it to me, or even former Christians who are convinced that you know. I, I want to know too, because that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, finally, he says, hell, it's self... Hell is itself is not something I have spent a lot of my time trying to understand. But now that we have talked about it, I'd like to spend some time reading different views. Sorry for the confusion I I caused. I apologize for the confusion. Well, CJ, I forgive you. And on behalf of the Skeptics and Seekers audience... We all forgive you. Here's what I'm not sure I forgive you for, though, CJ. I'm sorry to be a a jerk at this moment where I had a moment of redemption, and now I think I'm about to throw it all away. You see, I, I get that you're trying to understand this concept of hell. There are a couple of problems with that. First of all, hell is nonsense. It can't be understood. It's, it's fiction, and it's bad fiction, and you are wasting your time trying to understand this absolutely ridiculous and offensive notion. How much of your life you spend thinking about it is, is I think, um, a relevant metric for just how badly your mind has been abused with Christianity, because you are... You are Spending time thinking about something of less value than the spells of Harry Potter. I would rather you say you are, you are devoting some part of your life working out the nuances of Expecto Patronum. So, first of all, this is just an absolutely nutty concept of hell. And it, it's a lot like science fiction. I love science fiction. I like to pick on it. Star Trek, love Star Trek, like to pick on it. Star Wars, don't love it so much. I'm the one person in the world who uh, thought that Jar Jar Binks was a good character. So obviously I don't know anything about Star Wars. Um, but, you know, we get things in, in uh, science fiction like hyperdrive it, in Star Wars. Uh, Star Trek, it's, it's warp drive. But, you know, when you're in something like Battlestar Galactica uh, or Star Wars and they say hyperdrive, they mean warp. And that, that, that's really what it is. It's just a, um, it's just a word. And uh, the idea is that it's faster than light travel. It's a, it's a way that science fiction writers get their characters from one part of space to a way distant other part of the space really fast. <laughs> that's a, And so 
warp drive, hyperdrive, hyperspace. <laughs> these are these are these are cute ideas. You might can ask three questions deep uh, in that, like uh, you know what what is a hyperdrive? Well, well, sir, the uh, hyperdrive is the thing that uh, allows us to go through hyperspace. Okay, well, what is hyperspace? Well, uh, sir, you see. Uh, hyperspace is uh, that aspect of space uh, where dimensionality and temporality uh, are are momentarily uh, banished, so that you know it doesn't matter. You you can ask maybe two or three questions deep before the answer is finally just shut up and enjoy the show. Just shut up. That's that's the ultimate answer to your science fiction questions. How does the transporter work exactly? Shut up. That's how it works. Just shut up. Okay, that's hell. All right? It's the stuff that you're supposed to suspend disbelief on. So we're told this story, well, you know, it's a bad place that God created for the devil and his angels, and he's going to dump bad humans in there too, uh, and they're they're burning in fire forever uh, because of their sins, and they deserve it. Well, wait a minute. Why does anyone deserve to be in fire? Shut up! That's the answer. We, we, I, I only lived to be 60 years old. And yeah, I did some bad things. I sold some stuff. I, I snorted some stuff. I didn't know. I mean, I got hooked on some stuff. I did some stuff. I paid I paid her $10. And yeah, the, you know, some stuff happened. But I got a burn in hell for that? Shut up. That's That's the answer. This is this is science fiction suspend your disbelief garbage. The reason you have not thought about it, my friend CJ, you you've thought about it devotionally. Let me just correct you there. I know that you've thought about it. You've you've had sermons that included it, I'm sure. Bible studies where where the various passages are mentioned. I know you've read through the gospels. You've talked a lot about hell. You've thought about it devotionally. You've thought about it in the same way that Star Trek nerds think about transporters. You don't ask the science questions about it. You just accept the fiction answers about it so that you can enjoy the show. That's how you've thought about it. What you haven't done is think about it rationally and mechanically and ask yourself, well, how, how does this actually work? What does it mean for someone to be tormented in fire forever for not believing that God exists. What does that mean? You've never thought of that. And so one of the reasons I am, I'm not giving you full credit for your mea culpa here is because now that you've admitted you haven't really thought it through, you ought to stop talking about it. Whenever you come to those passages where Jesus is talking about hell, you ought to just stop and look at your audience and say, you know, these next few passages, I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're talking about. So I don't want to read them. I don't want to speculate on it. I don't want to answer any of your questions because I don't know. I haven't thought about it. That's what you ought to say. Say that. And then I'll give you full credit for your mea culpa. Nobody's going to say that, though. What Christians do is they act like they've thought about it. 
they put it in part of their sermon or their teachings, and, you know, it's part of the consequences of, well, you know, if you don't uh, listen to this lesson, you know, I've got to tell you, uh, you know, very lovingly, that there is a place that God has prepared for the devil and his angels and for all the people who reject him. And, and it, it, as much as I hate to say it, it's called hell. It's eternal. It's very painful. And you, you really don't want to go there. This is, this is what good Christians have to do. Stop it. Because you haven't thought about it and you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So actually, when you, when you stop it, then I will say uh, I accept your apology in the full spirit for the confusion. Because it's not just your confusion. It's the confusion you cause when you talk about hell to other people. I accept your apology. You confused me, but that's okay. The whole doctrine confuses me. It's, it's innocent people who are looking up to you to know what the heck you're talking about. Those are the people that you should go back and apologize to. Everyone that you've ever said anything about hell to, you should go back and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I know that you can't do that. I know that you can't take hell completely out of your doctrine because it's one of those very important strands in the Christian fabric. If you take it out, the whole thing unravels and you've got to remake a different kind of Christianity. When your Christianity has hell in it, hell as a place of uh, torment in it, your Christianity depends on it. You can't just pull it out. Not, with unra- not without unraveling the whole thing. So I get it. It's hard. But that's, that's the challenge that I'm giving you, uh, CJ, is to n- not just think about it, but take a sabbatical on preaching your particular gospel until you've got it. Because you can't really preach any part of your gospel if you just try to pull this thread out or pretend like, well, it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll work on it and figure it out later, but you'll continue preaching your gospel. No, stop it. Stop it. doesn't work like that. But that said, you know, most people do not go back and uh, acknowledge uh, when they have misspoken, uh, when they've gotten some things wrong. And so even though I'm not entirely sure what you were saying that you got wrong and what you've corrected it to and you know, how we should think about it. I'm going to give you credit for at least coming out there and, uh, and trying to, to clarify that and and say that. So good on you. Good on you, CJ. I want to spend a little bit of time in the podcast, uh, talking about that. And at the end of it, I don't know whether I've given you praise or blame. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll have to work that out, I guess. But, um, yeah. So, uh, so there's that. Now, it's time to turn our attention to the main event. And quite frankly, I think all of this is the main event, but we're just going to call it the main event anyway. Why I stopped caring about what the Bible says and why you should too. Part three, because Jesus. Oh, you're going to like this one. Yeah, I said it, because Jesus. That's why you should walk away from the Bible. You know, Christians, they walk toward the Bible because of Jesus. In fact, everything they do, they want to say, because Jesus. <laughs> what would Jesus do? You know, why, why would I, you know, choose this option as opposed to that option? It's always because Jesus. Because Jesus. 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 Jesus, Jesus. Ned Flanders. Jesus, Jesus. Well, you know, that's not an answer. That's not an answer to anything. 
Um, so yeah, why do, why do you believe in Christianity? Because Jesus, you know that that actually is less than an answer. And if you if you really evaluate Jesus, which I have done, I've spent a, a large chunk of my life doing. It's time in my life that I will never get back. And so I've got to figure out what to do with that. And so what I'm doing with it is making podcasts and writing books. <laughs> because <laughs> there's really nothing else you can do with a solid Jesus education. I mean, really. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> so you have spent the better part of your life and your brain power studying Jesus. <laughs> what are you going to put on your resume? <laughs> Honestly. I want to be a I want to be a manager at an Apple store. What are your qualifications? Jesus. Jesus. I've studied Jesus. <laughs> oh God, if someone only had warned me sooner. <laughs> so here's a here's the thing of it. I didn't even stay long enough to get the degree. <laughs> right? So I have student loan debt. <laughs> Some time in college, no degree, and a head full of knowledge about Jesus that I can't do anything with. If I had the degree, I could at least lie about it and disingenuously teach at some university and make a little money off of Jesus. I can't even do that. So, screw me. It's, you know, so my uh, other major was uh, music. For those of you who don't know, the second most useless major you can get. <laughs> so go ahead, get your degrees in Jesus and music. Woo! There is time not well spent. Take my advice, kids. Go for the go for the MBA. All right, you can you're gonna. You're going to always be able to make money with your MBA. Music, not so much. Jesus. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, <clears throat> because if I don't laugh about it, I'll cry. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in my life studying Jesus. And I would have to say more time than the average person has really thought about Jesus more time than the average Christian has thought about Jesus. I, in fact, I would I would venture a guess that the average Christian has no idea what Jesus said. 90% of the things that Jesus said are vague and dark to the average Christian. They just don't have a clue. A, they don't read their Bible, and B, everything they know about what Jesus said, they heard from a sermon or a bumper sticker. Or the Simpsons. They have no idea. And so a lot of people who give Jesus credit as being the smartest guy in the world, they have clearly never read three paragraphs of anything that he said. Because it's all stupid. It is stupid. It is BSC stupid. For those uh, new to the podcast, BSC stands for bad shit crazy. That's, uh, that's Jesus in a nutshell. I know. I know that's shocking, shocking to hear someone talk about Jesus that way. I mean, don't you know that Jesus is God? Jesus was God incarnate. 
Are you calling God batshit crazy? Well, yes. If, if Jesus was a real guy and he was God, that, that is what I'm saying. But Jesus was the smartest man in the world. He knew everything. He never said anything wrong. He never got anything wrong. All of his advice was good. He was the most moral person in the world, the most perfect person in the world. He suffered more than anybody in the world. He loves more than anybody in the world. What are you talking about? Shut up. Just shut the hell up. I've been hearing this crap all of my life. I can't wait to release uh, the book that I finally finished. I say finally finished. I finished in the middle of last year. Uh, it's called uh, Red Letters, uh, the, uh, the, the Worst Moral and Practical Teachings the World Has Ever Known. For those of you who know a little bit about the Bible, you know you buy Bibles with the red letter edition. The red letters are the letters, uh, the, the words written in red that Jesus supposedly said. So Red Letters, it's, it's a snappy title. It's a good book. Can't wait to share it with you. Does anyone want to do any editing for free? Free editing? Skepticsandseekers at gmail.com I'll take your application. It's free. I'm not going to pay you. I'll mention you by name. Give you a little credit in the book. And I'll say words. Hell, I'll, I'll give you a, a good reference for, you know, your next job application or apartment application. I'm not going to pay you any money. I don't have any money. Send me an email. Skepticsandseekers at uh, gmail.com. Anyway, um, yeah, red letters. So there is a, a chapter in that book about... Um, Jesus financial advice. And so I'm, I'm drawing from a little bit of that uh, with my article this week because Jesus, and he has a lot of things to say. I only focused on a few things that he said about money because if I really stretched it out and talked about all of the crazy things that Jesus said, well, I would have to write a book, which I have. Skepticsandseekers at gmail.com, free editors. Um, at the least, you know, you get to read the book early. Just think about it. So, um, yeah, so I had to narrow it down. I focused on some things that he said about uh, finance. Now, I, I did not, just so you know, uh, Dale and I, when, when we uh, do blogs, I uh, write a blog, he writes a response, or he writes a blog, and I write a response. And we share that in plenty of time before the podcast so that we have time to see what the other is going to say. Um, you know, we're not trying to surprise each other with some new insight, uh, on the program. That's, uh, that's not how I roll, but, uh, Dale didn't get around to writing a response to this one. And, uh, I really wanted him to, <laughs> I really, I really want to see a Christian defend this stuff. And so I'm going to, I'm going to make an offer to you. If, if you read my blog or you hear what I'm saying on the podcast and you want to put together, oh, 800 to 1,000 words, I'll take 600, <laughs> okay? If you want to put together something that's an actual blog post, something bigger than a comment, uh, uh, shorter than a book, and you want to put that together, I will put that on the main page as the seeker's view against my skeptic's view. I'll do it. In fact, I'll do more than one. 
And if you want to write something shorter, sure, go ahead and put it in the comments. You don't have to send it through me to approval. But, you know, anyone who wants to rebut this stuff that I'm about to talk about, I will give you the space to do it. And if you feel comfortable talking in the mic and you have a way of talking into Skype, email me, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. I will put you on mic and we will talk about it. We will do it. I am earnestly seeking some Christian who will stand up and defend this BS. I have never been able to find it in my life. And so maybe with the power of the internet, we can, uh, we can smoke someone out. Yeah, Jesus, not such, a, not such a wise, great man. You know, even atheists uh, catch this bug. I, I can't stand it when atheists talk this way. They, they, they will poo-poo the existence of God. Poo-poo the tenets of Christianity as poop, which they should. But then they will turn around and say, yes, but Jesus, he had a lot of good things to say. What the hell are you talking about? He did not have a lot of good things to say. I promise he didn't. The things that you're thinking about that you think that he said were not really good things when you think about it. So buy my book. It'll be, it'll be on sale at some point. Um, they just don't know what they're talking about. And it's been a part of our culture for so long to say great glowing things about Jesus that even non-believers pick it up and say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he was a good teacher. He was a good philosopher. You know, he was a good man. You know, he may not have been God, but, you know, they, we can pick up a lot of things from, uh, you know, the good things that Jesus said and did. Shut up. Shut the F up up. You don't know what you're talking about. You have never read three paragraphs of anything this person had to say. Stop it. It frankly frankly makes me angrier when I hear atheists talk that way than it does with Christians. Because Christians, I just figure, well, you know, they're soft. They're they're, they're little malformed brains. God bless their heart. Atheists, you should know better. <laughs> you should know better. <laughs> so let's look in, let's look into some of the some of the crackpot teachings of uh, of, of Jesus. And um, I've recruited um, a couple of couple of random internet people to help me look into some of the crackpot teachings. I'm not going to call them by name. <laughs> they're crazy. Okay, they're they're crazy people. Saying things on YouTube. That's why I love them. That's why I love YouTube. I'm going to bring in a couple of clips. Uh, let me start with a passage, uh, if that's okay. Uh, I want to start with Luke, uh, Luke 12, 33. Everybody get your Bibles out. You can go ahead and hit pause if you want to. Get your Bibles out and turn it to, uh, to Luke 12, 33. This is our Bible reading portion of the podcast. Uh, please bow for a word of prayer. Yeah, right. So, um, Luke, uh, Luke 12:33. sell your possessions and get, you know, Luke, it's in the gospels, right? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Okay. And that's, 
that's in the second, we should say the last third of the Bible. So the first two thirds of the Bible, kind of open your books about two thirds away. Now rip it apart and throw that thick part out of there because that's the Old Testament and Christians don't give a damn about that. All right, so now that you've got the other third in your hand, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get to John, you've gone too far. Flip a few pages back. Okay. All right, so we can get started now. Luke 12, 23. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourself purses that do not wear out. A treasure in heaven that never decreases, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah, sell, sell your possessions and, and give to the poor. Christians do a couple of things when they when they come across this verse. First of all, they never come across this verse because they don't read their Bibles. So let's let's quit pretending that Christians ever come across this verse. Um, but for those who do come across this verse, maybe they're doing a lectionary in church. I mean, this when you hear Christians say, "Oh yeah, I've read my Bible eighteen times," what they mean is they've shown up at church. And churches uh, that have lectionaries, a lectionary is just a Bible reading, and so it's a way of reading the Bible in a year. And so if you just sat around church long enough and you are at a church that does a lectionary, you have kind of sort of gone through your Bible. And if you've been in church a long time, then you've probably read your Bible many times in a row. Let me tell you, it's not Bible reading. It doesn't count. Stop it. Stop it. You haven't read your Bible. You don't even know where Luke is. Shut up. Anyway, uh, we're, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Slight digression. Um I did take my meds this morning. I'm feeling okay, except for the cold. So Christians do a couple of things here uh, with a passage like this. Uh, the first thing they do is they skip over in their mind uh, the part where he says, sell your possessions. They just skip it. Just skip it. A little cognitive distance there, a little blink, and they jump straight to the part where it says, give to the poor, and they say, amen, brother! Give to the poor. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said to give to the poor. I believe it. Give it to the poor. Amen, brother. What was that? Sell your possessions. Amen. Give to the poor. <laughs> they never, they never even engage with that part. <laughs> so they just run, they just run it right by. So, whoo, that's um, that happens. It happens every week in some lectionary somewhere. So they just skip right by it. Here's, here's the second thing uh, they do. Because part of the problem with this teaching of Jesus is that he didn't just say it just one time. He said it lots of times. It's in the Bible lots of times. It's in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. Jesus just kept saying it. He just kept saying it over and over. And he didn't say it to just one guy. So I'm getting to this in a minute. What people do when they hear this verse, sell your possessions, they say, oh, oh, I know. I got it. I got it. You're talking about that uh, time when the rich young ruler 
came to Jesus and he said, what must I do? Oh, good master. Jesus says, screw you. No, there's none good but God. We can, we can spend a show talking about that. But at any rate, Jesus says, uh, yeah, you know what to do. Keep the, uh, keep the, keep the uh, commandments. O- obey the, obey the uh, commandments. Love your, love your neighbor. Uh, respect your parents. Give, give your tithes and sacrifices. Be a good Jew. That was that was uh, his answer, and uh, and the ruler says, "Oh goody, I've done all that. <laughs> I'm I'm in right." <laughs> and Jesus says, "Yeah, no. How about how about you do one more thing? Get rid of everything. Sell all of your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and then you can come and follow me." And the rich young ruler. His his countenance falls and he's very sad and he walks away because he's got a lot of money. And uh, so the story goes on. And uh, so what people, what Christians have done is they've kind of come up with several excuses for why that story does not apply to them. Every every preaching on that story is why this doesn't apply to us today. That's that's what it is. It's you know they've got seventeen different ways of reading that, so that they never have to internalize the idea that someone was turned away from Jesus because he wouldn't sell all of his stuff and give the money to the poor. Now I'm not going to go over all of those excuses. I'm going to turn to one of our uh, one of our internet friends. I don't know his name. It doesn't matter. And uh, and he talks about it. Let's uh, let's listen to what he has to say. It's uh, Luke fourteen uh, thirty three. It says, "In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple." And in other translations, it says, "Like all of your possessions cannot be my disciple." So is that mentally, is that in actuality, right? Like, is God calling us to sell everything and to be like, you know, like John the Baptist, just like eating locusts and wild honey out in the desert um, while you know, God is just kind of providing for us. And I think in some ways, like for specific people, that just might be the case. Notice the first trick there. Is, is that mentally or, or is that actually, he says, he, he, he sets up this idea <clears throat> that it, it might just be that we need to obey that command mentally. To, what? <laughs> what are you trying to set up? What does it mean to obey mentally? <laughs> you just, we, we just need to obey it in our mind. We don't actually have to do that, but... You know, maybe it's maybe it's uh, just mental. He he's he says, you know, for some people it might actually be actual. This is this is another one of the things that they do, right? So, uh, sure, Jesus meant it literally for a very few people. I mean, not me, obviously, <laughs> not you. You know, for some people it might be actual. Some nameless people <laughs> live in a cave somewhere, but but then he goes on to. Describe what he really thinks. Spoiler, <laughs> he falls back to the mental. And I don't think that 
I think that God really is calling us, like, if he really does have that calling on our lives, mentally, like, we should be able to take that and make it a reality. Because our mindset should be that all of our possessions are not our own. Our lives are not our own. That they all belong to Jesus. And that we should be able to just easily relinquish all of them and give them back to God whenever he asked, right? So, is that easy? No, absolutely not. It's really hard in, in today's society to, to think of everything as not your own, right? Like, No, it's not hard. <laughs> It's not hard to mentally obey a command. It's not hard to to think of everything you own as belonging to God. You want, you want me to show you uh, how easy it is? Just look. Every Christian in the world will tell you, oh, yes, I think that everything I own belongs to God. It's easy. <laughs> it's really easy to, to put yourself in that mindset. But you see, Jesus was not calling on the rich young ruler to take on a mindset. <laughs> He was calling on him to get rid of his stuff, right? So you have successfully moved the goalposts, sir. You have moved the goalposts. And now this is not a command in Jesus saying, this is the state of mind that I want people to be in. Just imagine, if if the rich young ruler had understood Jesus that way, he would not have walked off sorrowfully, <laughs> He would have said, yes, I've got that. I've got that mindset. <laughs> sure I do. <laughs> right? just, just like we do today, right? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not it at all. So, yeah, it, it becomes very easy for Christians to set this passage aside once they turn it into a mental exercise and not something practical. But Jesus was not commending a mental exercise. Oh, and uh, by the way, that passage, uh, Luke twelve thirty three, that wasn't even the passage uh, where Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. I just wanted to bring that up because Christians uh, like to dismiss that passage. Uh, in the way that I described, and of course, the other way, very similar to that, is they say, yeah, yeah, Jesus said that. Yes, he meant it. He meant it for that guy. Yeah, that's that's what Jesus meant for that guy. Now, he didn't mean it for any other guy, because there's never been any other rich person who Jesus encountered who wanted to join him, so he never had to say it to anyone else. Yeah, no, but this was a special thing for that guy, because money was his problem. Oh, it's not my problem. No, 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 no. But it was his problem. So Jesus meant it for that guy and that guy only. And so I never have to deal with that situation. This is what the, this is uh, one of the main ways they dismiss it. So the reason I read from Luke 12:33, remember I said that this is the kind of thing that Jesus said a lot. <laughs> That's just one of the times he said it. So Luke 12, 33 is actually when he was saying it to a crowd. This was a part of his general sermonizing. This was not him talking to one guy. This is when he was talking to, quote unquote, everybody. This is what he told everybody to do. Go back and read it. Poof goes your excuse there. That's too bad. Also, the uh, clip that I used... That was yet a third occasion when Jesus said something like that. So we're not, we're not even talking about the same two occasions. So, um, yeah, it's, 
it's really hard to write this off and be honest, but Christians are not honest about this. They transform a very straightforward nut job thing into something that they can live with as a mindset. So I want to meet the Christian where they are for a moment and see if it makes any sense thinking of it as a, a mindset. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. So I think we can all agree that as a literal command, that is batshit crazy. It's stupid. It's stupid, stupid. Don't ever do it. And if any religious leader ever tells you to get rid of all of your stuff and give the money to the poor, do not ask their advice on other things. Do not say, well, okay, well, this guy may be bad on finance, but, you know, he's really good on diet. Screw that guy. Don't walk. Run away as fast as you can. And tell all your friends to avoid this guy. That's Jesus. So I think that we can all agree that uh, as literal command, that command is nonsense. I think that most of us skeptics uh, in the audience would probably even agree that when Jesus said it, he actually meant it. He actually meant it literally. Jesus is a nut job. You should you should run away. But I, let's let's try out some of the Christian excuses and see if we can save him. So uh, Jesus, he didn't mean it literally. He meant it the other way. <laughs> what is the other way? Spiritually, he meant it spiritually. Spiritually, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. What does that even mean? What are you, what are you, what are your spiritual possessions? What are, I don't, what? <laughs> and give them to who? The spiritually poor? Give your spiritual, sell your position. What are you selling your sp- spiritual possessions for? Spiritual money? <laughs> it doesn't, it actually is incoherent if you try to make it spiritual. Well, so we tried the, the mental state, the mindset. Well, I'll, you don't, actually want to sell your possessions. You just want to have the mindset that if God ever asked you to do it, that you would do it. So what Jesus is giving you is something akin to the Abraham test. Remember the Abraham test? I, that's, uh, I gave that to CJ. We had a lot of interesting conversation over that. The Abraham test is uh, God uh, tells Abraham, I want you to take your only son and murder him on this altar in my name. Sacrifice him to me. Put him on the altar, cut his throat, let him bleed out and burn the body. This is, this is what God is telling him to do. Abraham says, okay. Abraham failed the Abraham test, as far as I'm concerned. Because what Abraham should have said was, screw you, God. I'm never going to do that. That's wrong. That's immoral. That's insane. I will not worship a God that calls for human sacrifice. That's what Abraham should have said. Abraham was not a good guy. So uh, so I will sometimes give Christians the Abraham test and ask them, you know, if God tells you, and there's no doubt about whether it's God, if God tells you, I want you to kill your kid or your wife or your neighbor across the street or that guy talking on the podcast, I want you to hunt him down and kill him like the dog he is, would you do it? That's the Abraham test. So some Christians like to think of this passage as Jesus giving a slightly different version of the Abraham test. If I were to tell you 
to sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. Not that I'm actually telling you to do that, but if I were to tell you to do that, would you do it? Now, I just want to jump in here and say no. Christians still wouldn't do it. Now, they will lie to themselves and you and say that they stand prepared to do it. But here's the catch. They know that no God is ever going to tell them to do it. (laughs) So it's really easy to say, oh, yes, I would do it. If God ever told me, if God walked right up to me, right in my face and said, I want you to sell stuff, (laughs) give money to the poor. Yes, I'll do it. You are a liar. (laughs) And you can only say that with a straight face because you don't believe that there is a God who would ever test you in that way. You know that you will never be called to the carpet for that lie. So, yeah, that's, um, that's what's going on there when you, when you read this passage mentally, spiritually, <laughs> figuratively. It doesn't make sense. The advice to sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. So, you know, do we have any insight on whether Jesus actually meant this literally? Well, I think we do. So the first bit of insight we get is when he does tell it to this rich young ruler, when he is talking to an actual human being who is literally in front of him, and he literally answers his question by keep the Ten Commandments uh, and all the laws. He literally meant that, and the Jew says, yes, I literally do that. What else? <coughs> and then Jesus says, okay, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Something has to break in your brain if what you're saying is Jesus switches from the literal to the figurative right here. He does not. It's literal all the way through. Clearly, the rich man understood it as literal. He is not taking this as some kind of mind experiment. He is taking this as a literal statement. Jesus, who knows everything, knows that that's what this guy is thinking. Jesus doesn't call him back and say, wait, wait, wait. I don't mean that you actually should do it. I just mean, would you be prepared for it? No, Jesus didn't clear that up because he said what he meant. I think in their hearts, Christians know that, and they are just lying to themselves about this passage, because they know it is Jesus being caught saying something that is bat shit crazy. And they know that no one should listen to it. We've got to save it somehow. We've got to save it. Every one of their saves is a lie. I know it, now you know it. We're not going to let that stand. So that's not the only, that's, that's not, that's not the only thing that um, Jesus said about money. <laughs> so my favorite uh, little story, <clears throat> by the way, if you listen to me over, uh, over time, a long period of time, you will hear me use the phrase, my favorite story in the Bible is, and it's always something different. I know that. I know that, guys, all right? <laughs> I read the Bible a lot. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. It's just my favorite for the moment. You know, my it's like my top 10 favorite Bible verses contain about 100 entries. <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all a part of my top 10. That's how it works for me. Don't, um, 
Don't don't send me corrections about that. <laughs> right. It's true in my head that way. So um, so this passage comes from uh, the same the same chapter, Luke twelve. Just roll the tape back a little bit to verse fifteen. Read through twenty one. I like this one. So this is Jesus' own savings, or you might say own investment. I'm not sure. I I think savings would be the best category here. Jesus' own savings, maybe retirement. What What does Jesus have to say? So if you step into Jesus' office, his financial planning office, and uh, you tell him you've done well in business and uh, you'd like to retire early, take some time uh, with the family, go on cruises, you know, whatever it is people who retire early do, Jesus would uh, maybe surprise you <laughs> with what he has to say because you've never read the Bible. So let's be honest about that. Um, here's a little story. Uh, then he said to them, Watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed. Remember that word, people, greed. What does Jesus think of as greed? Because one's life does not consist of the uh, abundance of his possessions. He then told them a parable. The, uh, let me see. Okay. The land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. So he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crop. (laughs) Step outside of the story for a moment. First of all, congratulations, dude. Business is going well. You've got an abundant crop. Isn't that what we all want? (laughs) We all want an abundant crop. We would all like to wake up one day and look at our bank account and say, holy moly, what an abundant crop. We would love that. That's a, I don't know a Christian who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want that, right? You know, your online business, uh, your store, whatever it is you sell, you, know, you sell your little tapes, your CDs on the side of the road, whatever you sell, uh, hashish, you know, I'm not going to judge, whatever you sell. You'd like to, you'd like to think that, you know, you know, you had a good day, a good year, and you look, and holy moly, wow, I'm really killing it. So, um he, he realizes, I, I don't have anywhere to put all this, this crop. <laughs> you know, I got some barns, but they were not, I wasn't thinking about this much abundance when I built them. <laughs> so back into the story. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Smart guy, okay? Good so far, right? He hasn't done anything wrong, has he? Has he done anything hell-worthy yet? Has he done anything that you wouldn't do yet? Okay. So he goes on and says, And I will say to myself, You have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Celebrate. Can I interpret that a little bit? Early retirement. Holla. <laughs> Call the travel agent. I made it. We've, we made it. 
Our family made it. And we're going to be okay now. And all that back-breaking work that I did in construction to get here, I don't have to do that anymore. Isn't that a good feeling? To actually have beat yourself senseless on a piece of dirt and now it's turned in crops and you've got enough for many years, possibly enough for the rest of your life. And you've got a few good years left and you think to yourself, finally, I don't have to do that anymore. I can take a few moments and enjoy the fruits of my labors. That's not, that's not wrong. Ah, but uh, back to the story. But God said to him, you... Fool, this very night your life will be demanded back from you. But who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I mean, wow. Wow, what an overreaction to good crops and plans for early retirement. Fool, he says? Really? And so Jesus pays it off with the moral of this story. So it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich toward God. First of all, I don't even know what that means, to be rich toward God. Um, so, you know, some of you can dissect that. <laughs> leave, uh, leave it in the comments, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Love to think, uh, love to know what you think that means. But um, this is, remember how Jesus prefaced this story, right? He said, be aware of all kinds of greed. This is his idea of greed. When you have worked hard, when you have been successful, and when you have enough to store up and then live off of, that is what he calls Greed. And if you think that I'm taking this out of context, just pick up at verse 22 and read further. You know, we might do that in another podcast. I'm not going to do that right now. But this is where uh, Jesus starts talking about, uh, you know what? What you, should, what you should really do is rely on God to give you things. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your own good, strong back and right arm. What is your life? It's here for a little while and passes away. But, uh, you know, God gives us what we want. So set your minds on the things of the kingdom of God, not on the things of the earth. All these things will be uh, delivered to you, that sort of thing. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. Yada, yada, yada. It, it's a passage. We'll, we'll go over it sometime. Because it's also a part of the crazy things that Jesus said that make sense in no context at all. Jesus does not like your savings plan. He does not like your plans for early retirement, or late retirement for that matter. He expects you to work your fingers to the bone until all that's left is bone, and then you die miserably, thanking God for the crusts of bread that he allowed you to eke out of the land. Woe betide to the person who builds bigger barns for his retirement. This is, this is Jesus on money. If Jesus was your financial advisor, you would fire that fool and you would report him to somebody <laughs> to make sure that he can't say that kind of stuff to anybody else you care about.
Because somebody's going to believe him. By the way, let me just interrupt myself and rewind. I was talking about uh, ways that you could know that Jesus was being literal when he said to sell all of his possessions. I forgot one of them. Uh, at the beginning of Acts, uh, the early church starts getting underway. This is the end of Acts chapter 2. You see the uh, early church in the first century, first church, first group of people after they were baptized, 3,000 men and however many women and children they dragged in the lake. The very first act they did that was worth pinning for Luke is they sold all of their possessions and gave the money to the poor. And we, we see some drama about that a little bit later on in Acts. So if Jesus didn't mean it literally, psych, all of you people in Acts, fools! Didn't you know he was, it was just a mental exercise? Christians know better. They are lying. They are lying to themselves and lying to you when they pretend like this was not said literally. And they are lying to themselves and lying to you when they say things that make uh, it seem like Jesus wants you to save money and, uh, and use your income wisely that way. He doesn't. Look, I'm going to close off. I'm almost done. I got a, I got a couple more little things. <laughs> okay. This actually might take another 30 minutes. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. There's, a, there's a, another little passage uh, here. It's really short. I'm just going to read it. It's also in Luke. I like Luke. He, he pulls out a lot of these uh, sayings uh, when Jesus talked about money. It's real short. It's Luke, Luke 6, 30. Luke 6, verse 30. Just one verse. Give to everyone who asks you, and do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. <laughs> okay. So, so, just hang on, hang on. Do not snort your wine. <laughs> it really says this. Give to everyone who asks you. And do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. <laughs> now, I could, I could riff on this for a while. But I've called upon another internet wise man to to tell us what jesus really meant here so hang on uh, this is matthew robert payne this is uh called give to everyone who asks uh, this is taken from the scripture matthew five forty two. give to him who asks of you and from him who wants to borrow do not turn away um, Jesus has about 111 commands that I've heard someone um, teach and preach and print out a copy of. 111 things he said to do and not to do. Out of that 111, this is probably the best that I'm best at. This is the one I'm probably best at. This one says, give to those who ask of you. That means when some homeless drunk asks you for spare change, you're to give it to him. That when, when, when someone comes and says, have you got $2 for a train fare, you're to give it to him. Now they might need the money for a train fare. They might need it for alcohol or drugs or something like that. My Jesus says to give it to the person. 
Zoinks? What? (laughs) So, okay. This guy, clearly a biblical literalist in some things. By the way, he gets the award this week. Did I not mention the award? (laughs) We're giving out an award. This is the bat shit craziest thing I have heard all week. Okay, so... Thank you, sir. You've won the the first BSC award from Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, drunk a drunk. Uh, someone who's obviously drunk needs needs the money for for some uh, for some clown. Give it to him. Drug <laughs> drugged out guy needs another hit. Come on, dude, help a brother out. You should help that brother out. <laughs> so, <laughs> woo. he's not done. That's what my Jesus says. Now, that's what I believe in. And fairly, uh, very, very few people believe in what I've got to say. Very few people believe in uh, what Jesus says, give to, uh, give to him who asks of you. Okay? Very few people. At least he is self-aware enough to understand that most people, even the people on his team, don't buy this garbage. That's something. So, uh, the only people I don't give to who ask me money are people selling subscriptions on the street uh, for um, looking after a charity, um, $30 a month. I don't sign up on them. I tell them I'll give the people a dollar and uh, they can't take a dollar, uh, and so they don't take the money. They can't take the money. They legally can't take the money. I've offered to buy them a coffee or a donut and, uh, or, or, or a muffin, and they said they can't take that either. And here the excuses start rolling in. So, you know, there are, <laughs> there are some people you can't give to, right? Those subscription people. Screw those guys. You can't, <laughs> you can't buy every subscription that comes along. Even if it is for a good cause, uh, and you know he'll he apparently caps his giving off at a dollar. That that'll work. <laughs> I'll give him, I'll give him a dollar or less. Offer them a donut or a cup of coffee. Once again, as long as it's not a dollar, more than a dollar. So we uh, we begin to see some some restrictions to give to everyone who asks. So I do give to everybody who asks of me. Yes, it takes a lot of change, and yes, if I go past certain places, uh, I um, have to give out money, but I do. And God gives, rewards me back. He, he returns the money to me, and people give me gifts too, without me asking. So Jesus said, give to everybody who asks of you. Do you do that? I challenge you to. I hope uh, you've learned something from this little teaching. Bat shit crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God gives him the money back. Of course he does. God gives... <laughs> here's, a, here's a question. I, I'll get to the question in a minute. i got to interrupt myself. I'm sorry. So, um, there were some other restrictions there. Uh, some, some potential restrictions. 
Lord knows uh, I practiced these restrictions when I was a Christian. Uh, he said, you know, you've got to carry around a lot of change. And uh, there's some places where, you know, you're going to get hit harder than others. Bingo. Stop carrying cash and don't go to those places where people are begging for money. <laughs> there you go. Take a different route. <laughs> And then, and then if someone accosts you, don't carry cash. I used to work in downtown Portland, a newspaper. And um, yeah, if, if you practice give to everyone who asked, you could not make it from one end of uh, Fifth Avenue to, to uh, your job with, with any money. So God forbid you had bus fare in cash. <laughs> You're not getting home. Fool. Right. So, um, yeah. So where was it? Yes. So God, God gives him his money back. I would, I would love to know how that happens, but, uh, sure. He, he gives to everybody and then God gives it back. Here's a question. Hey, hey God, why don't you just give it to the beggars in the first place? <laughs> why do you need the middleman? You don't need the middleman. Why do you have people begging? If you're going to give them money and then pay it back, to the, just give the money to the people who need it. How about that? Maybe some, please. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm weary of this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. Here's, here's the thing. We can, we can do this for a long time on a number of subjects, and I do. Red letters. It's coming out sometime this year. Uh, and I'm and I'm in the process of working on another one that's not Jesus centric. But for those who think that Jesus is the answer, that that the the reason you should do things or take the Bible seriously is because Jesus, I'm telling you that one of the best reasons to ignore the Bible is because Jesus, because one of the main characters in it is a guy that you wouldn't let your kids talk to if you saw him uh, on the street giving that kind of advice. It's a guy who, if you saw him leading some kind of church, you would call it a cult and you would call the police. That's the guy. That's Jesus. And you don't have to take my word on everything he said. Just look at what he said about finances and ask yourself seriously. Give me one piece of financial advice Jesus gives that you take literally, that you take to heart. There's your challenge. It doesn't exist. Because everything he said about money was wrong. It wasn't just wrong. It wasn't wrong in the way that I'm wrong. If you take financial advice from me, you're going to get a lot of wrong advice. It won't be stupid. It just won't be the best thing you could do with your money. I'm not really good with money. (laughs) But it would be wrong. I'm not saying that Jesus is wrong that way. I'm saying that Jesus is wrong in every way. He is absolutely backward. The opposite of the right thing to do is what Jesus has you do with your money. It's how Jesus thinks about money. His entire thought process about finance is absolutely wrong, and every Christian absolutely knows it because they do not do anything that he literally said to do. And I could have, I could have made this podcast double just talking about what Jesus said about money, but it's not necessary. So my ultimate point is, if you think that I'm right about uh, the money part, that should be enough for you to dismiss your entire Bible. Get rid of it. Tell me I'm wrong. Comments, skeptics and seekers at gmail.com. You can go to the website, skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com.
We'll talk to you. In the meantime, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> well, it's been fun for me. <laughs> it was, I hope it was good for you. We're going to do it again real soon. And um, we're going to continue with the series of why I don't care about the Bible and why you shouldn't either. And I'm, I'm kind of at a toss-up here. I can either move on to my next point or I can give you a second week of about Jesus because I could go on for days about this, weeks, probably a year of just talking about stupid things that Jesus said. Things that Jesus said that disqualifies him from the role of smart teacher that anyone should listen to. So I could, I could do that again next week with some different stuff. Let me know in the comments. And uh, by about Wednesday, I'll, I'll see how things are, are going. And I'll make a decision then. We'll either go on to part four or we will extend this part three. Uh, more stupid stuff about Jesus. That's up to you. In the, uh, in the meantime... Continue to uh, keep an eye out on uh, all the podcasts that we do. Uh, Unbelievable is still out there with Justin Bradley. I do listen from week to week. Uh, Still Unbelievable is out there. We comment on uh, the Unbelievable podcast. We don't do it uh, every week necessarily, and we don't uh, comment on the show that's necessarily uh, playing because some of the shows have been kind of eh, not not great and hard to comment on, quite frankly. Uh, Shows that I don't have a lot to say about. And so if I don't have anything to say about it, I won't say it. I'll dig, dig back in the archives. But uh, that show's a lot of fun. Uh, Andrew uh, on that show, he also does Ask an Atheist Anything. Uh, sometimes has some interesting guests. Check it out in your uh, pod feed of choice. Until next time, this has been David Johnson. Have a great week. <laughs>